I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading shortly, studying a section of Scripture starting in verse 16. We have been studying for the last several weeks along this topic or theme, a series of studies that we're calling The God Who Sins. One of the things I saw years ago was that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, that one of the ways God is described is by the way he sins. When he gets ready to do something, he sends someone. When God comes down to deliver his people from Egypt, he sends Moses. And so when God gets ready to act, he sins. Today, the title of this morning's message is Sent as Sheep Among Wolves. We want to look at the darker side of the harvest. We want to look at the challenging aspect of being sent. And in this particular case, being sent as sheep. I think Luke says lambs, as lambs among wolves. And what does that mean? And what was Jesus trying to say when he called our attention to this truth? Well, before I read in Matthew 10, I want to look at the last couple of verses of Matthew chapter 9. It may be a familiar passage. We have studied it here before. And in Matthew 9, verse 37, Jesus has been looking at the masses. The Bible says he felt compassion on them, that they were like sheep without a shepherd, that they were torn, that they were harassed, that they were broken. And he's looking at these lost sheep of Israel, looking at these broken and lost people. And he says in verse 37, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Their need is to know him. My need is to be like him. To be like him as he looks at the masses. Do I feel compassion the way he feels compassion? When he sees people who are lost, like sheep without a shepherd, people who don't know God, people whose lives are ruined because of that, everything in their life that you don't like, everything in their life that you would say, I can't see how people could live that way, everything that you look at and say the real problem in their life is sin, you'd be absolutely wrong. Those are all symptoms of one single issue. They are sheep without a shepherd. They don't know God. And and so we need to have that kind of compassion. Their need is to know him. Our need is to be like him. And what happens next in in Matthew chapter 10 is Jesus calls together the 12 and he sends them out. And and we say, well, yeah, they're the apostles. They're the ones that are sent out. That makes sense. The word apostle comes from a word apostello. It means to send. And so they're the sent ones. The apostles are the sent ones. But the truth is we are all sent. In fact, as this very same passage develops in another gospel, when we look at Luke chapter 9, the, um, the 12 are sent, but when you come to Luke chapter 10, he turns around and says, now the 12 are gone, now you 70 go. And he sends them out in pairs. And so first there's this inner circle, and then he broadens it, and he includes more of his disciples. And then by the time he comes to the Great Commission, he addresses it to all of his followers. And so as we listen to that, we think, well, to follow him very clearly means to be sent. 
If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ today, if I'm a disciple, by definition, someone who follows Jesus, I am sent. I don't even have to move to another country. I'm sent. I don't have to go to another place to be called a missionary. I'm already a missionary. Right here. It may be as simple as going across the street. So we read that and we read this passage. The labors are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And it sounds like a wonderful experience. It's going to be a happy harvest. I'm going to go out and people are going to welcome me because I'm bringing the good news of salvation to them. They're going to be receptive to me. They're going to love me. They're going to love what I have to share with them. This is going to be a great experience. But the reality is much different. And that's what I want to call attention to today when I talk about the dark side of the harvest that you and I are sent out. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, this is what Jesus says to them. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, in Matthew 9, he said there these people, the lost people out there, are like sheep without a shepherd. He just suddenly changed the imagery of who these people are. They're not just sheep without a shepherd. He says, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. Because when sheep are without a shepherd, when they don't know God, they're more like a wolf than a sheep. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. When I worked in industry a number of years ago, I used to go into petrochemical facilities and refineries and chemical plants and would do work, working for an engineering firm. When I would go in there before you could ever enter a facility, and some of you who, who have done that kind of work, you know what I'm talking about. Before you can ever go into a facility, you got to go in and sit through some kind of orientation about the safety procedures and safety processes of that particular facility. And sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's a classroom, sometimes it's hours, sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's a guy just sitting there and talking to you. But you had to go through some kind of safety orientation, and at first glance, this sounds like a safety briefing. Like you're getting ready to go into a, a hostile or a dangerous environment, and so you've got to know when, when you hear those sirens, what those horns mean, when you've got to go shelter in place somewhere, where you've got to go hide, because some gas is being released and you're in danger. You've you got to know all those safety things, and it sounds like this is one of those kind of things. But you know what? As we dig into this, he says you are like lambs going out among wolves. This isn't just a safety briefing. This is more like a mission briefing before soldiers go into battle. You're going into an intensely hostile environment, extremely dangerous. People who study these things tell us that the persecuted church in the world today numbers something like 215 million people. Uh, there are different groups that minister to the persecuted church around the world. Uh, groups like Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors Ministries and others. Open Doors produces every January a listing of countries where Christians are most severely persecuted. It's very well done, very well researched, and they produce that every year, 50 countries. It doesn't mean there are only 50, but it lists the 50 worst countries. Now, when we think about persecution, when we think about being sent out as, as sheep among wolves, we may think of that kind of persecution. But dear one, persecution takes many forms. 
There are overt kinds of governmental persecution. Yes, there are those kinds of persecution. There's social forms of persecution. And then there's spiritual forms of persecution that that occur in an unseen realm but affect your heart and affect your mind just as severely as any kind of physical persecution on the other side of the planet. Those forms of attack may look like rejection from people, depression, emotional upheaval, hatred, hatred, indifference, ridicule, loneliness, unmet needs, pain, suffering, distress, hostility, threats, harassment, false accusations, intimidation, uh, character assassination, your reputation being shredded, illness, death, the loss of family relationships, and countless other forms. And so as sent people, Jesus is saying to you and me something very important that we need to understand. Now, why is Jesus describing us as sheep being sent among wolves? Why does he do it that way? Why doesn't he send us as lions among wolves? Something a little bigger. Something with more force. Something that can defend itself. Why does he send us as sheep or lambs among wolves? Well, the history of people who have given their lives, literally given their lives for the sake of the gospel, is as long as the church is old. And, and it seems clear from the scripture and from reading in the history of the Christian church and just watching what God has done, that there are a couple of reasons why God sends us as sheep among wolves. One is, it, it seems very clearly to be part of his strategy to fulfill his purposes in, in the world and in history. God is working out his purpose. And so by sending us out as defenseless sheep among wolves, he is, in a way that we may not fully understand on this side of heaven, he is fulfilling his purpose in the world and in history. There's a second reason. Not only is he accomplishing his purposes in the world, by sending us as sheep among wolves, he is accomplishing his purposes inside you and me. There are things that happen to you and me in our relationship with Jesus when we are persecuted in whatever form it occurs that do not happen any other way. And so he has this dual reason. There is a rationale to this. There is a purpose to it. We may not fully understand it. So the question that I want to pose today is this. How can a sheep, you and me, who sent, how can a sheep carry out a mission in a world full of wolves? How does that happen? Well, fortunately, Jesus gives us all kinds of instruction here. I'm just going to tease out four, five, six, or seven answers to that question. And uh, so buckle up. We're going to move through these quickly. How can a sheep carry out a mission in a world full of wolves? Well, here's the first thing I see that he's saying to us. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. In verse 16, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. When he says behold, he means look. He's saying, pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is really important. Look at this. Behold, don't be surprised. Wolves do not see sheep as salvation. They see sheep as supper. And I'm sending you out into that kind of environment. 
except that sent people are never safe people in this world. Sent people are never safe people in this world. When Gail and I were, were raising our, our six kids at home, one of our objectives, and you know, as parents, you always have lots of goals. You don't always know how well you've, you achieve them, but one of our goals, one of our objectives was we wanted our kids to understand that God does not necessarily promise us a life of happiness and health and good things that we live in this world as bright lights in dark places, that we are like sheep among wolves, and that persecution is not just a possibility, it is an inevitability if you follow Jesus. And we wanted our kids somehow to be prepared for that possibility, even though we live in what we have historically understood to be one of the most religiously free nations on the planet. I believe that's changing. I believe that's changing. I believe there's, a, there's already things that are, have happened in our lifetime of everyone sitting here that would have been unthinkable just 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And, and the growing hostility, it's not just a difference of opinion anymore. It's about who is moral and who's immoral. And so much of the things that you and I believe that are true that God has taught us are being deemed as immoral. Jesus explained the reaction of the world this way. He said that the world lives in darkness. And, and because it lives in darkness, it hates the light. When someone if I'm having a migraine headache, doesn't happen often, but those of you who have them, you understand what I'm talking about. And you have that light sensitivity. Anybody ever have that before? You have that light sensitivity. So what do you do? You go in your room, you close the door, you draw the blinds, you put the sheets over your head, you put the pillow over your head, and you wish you were dead or something like that. I mean, it's just, it's awful. You don't want anything to do with the light. And then somebody comes in, opens the shades, pulls the covers off, puts the light in your face. You don't like it. You hate the light. You want to put it out. And that is exactly what Jesus said. Uh, right after John 3, 16, you can go down to verse uh, 19 and 20 of John 3, and Jesus talks about that. People hate the light. If they've been in darkness most of their life, when the light comes, they don't want the light. And they react to it. And that reaction is often hostile. There's, there's, uh, when, you, when you go out in the world... You don't have to go to the other side of the planet. When you just go out and win Arkansas and you tell people that, that the religious choice perhaps that they've made or the social choices they have made or the lifestyle choices they have made are wrong, they don't like that. They see that as insulting. That's a, that's a problem. It's an insult. It's an attack. It's offensive. And so when you go out as sheep among wolves, you are running a risk of being attacked. And that willingness to suffer is an essential part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is part. I, I know that some of you are probably thinking, hey, when I trusted Jesus, no one told me about that. 
But that risk, that vulnerability is an essential part of following Jesus in our world. And you say, well, well, why would anyone want to take a risk like that? Well, you're willing to take that kind of risk because you believe people really are in darkness and need the light, and that without the light, they will go to hell. And that's why you're willing to take the risk, because you believe those things. You don't have it on a little piece of paper stuck in your Bible, and you say, this is what Baptists believe. But it becomes part of your thinking, part of your life. This person I'm meeting at the gas pump, this person I meet at school, my friend across the street, my best friend all my life, if they don't know Jesus, they are going to hell. And so I've got to be able to risk the relationship, risk being ridiculed, risk being humiliated, risk being treated like I'm some kind of Jesus freak in order to share my faith with them. It's inherent, and I've got to be vulnerable. And I... I, I said earlier, I mean, why, why don't we get sent out as lions among wolves instead of as lambs among wolves? I want to call your attention. You don't need to turn there. If you're taking notes, you can just stop, jot down Mark 15, verse 39. Just jot it down, Mark 15, verse 39. This is that moment on the cross where Jesus is dying on the cross. And as he was dying on the cross, you remember he had these various sayings that he said. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He had these things that he was saying. And, and there was someone watching all of that. Now, there were several people, but there was one man in particular that was watching all of this, and I, I suspect that he became a Christian because Mark found out about it and recorded it in the text. We don't know 100% that that's what happened, but listen to what he said. Mark 15, verse 39, when the centurion, now this is the guy in charge of the execution of Jesus, when the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, saw the way he died, heard the words that he said as he died. It says, when he saw the way, the manner that he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. And, and for thousands of years, that has resulted in people coming to Christ. When they have seen Christians who were unafraid to die, who had great faith as they died, who shared their truth in love, met death with faith, the result was that many people in darkness saw the light. And it began even at the cross. And that's a testimony of thousands. The bottom line is people are wolves until they become sheep. And if I'm talking to someone about Jesus, I am running a risk. There's a risk. And until, until they become a sheep, they are a wolf. The Apostle Paul is one of the great examples of that. Was he not a wolf before he became a sheep? Did he not persecute and kill Christians and separate families and, and strip them of all their belongings? He was a wolf became, before he became a sheep. And I've got to understand that he has sent me to be vulnerable and that when bad stuff starts happening to you, bad stuff starts happening to me because of our stance, because of our trust in Christ, because of our fellowship of Christ, it is not a mistake. It is part of the mission. Be vulnerable. Second thing, be wise. Be wise. Jesus tells you not only to be vulnerable like sheep among wolves but he says be wise therefore he says be wise as serpents you know in a hostile 
environment, or just about any environment, I very rarely have noticed a snake call attention to itself, unless I'm about to step on it. And then if it's a rattler, it makes noise. But they sneak around. They, they hide in people's pipes and cabinets and under their houses. And any dark place where you're going to stick your hand probably has a snake in it, right? They get up in car engines, and you see videos of people pulling snakes out of car engines, and they're just, they're just sneaky. And um, no unnecessary provocation. They just go places quietly. They leave places quietly. And so Jesus says to be wise as serpents. That, that means at least a couple of things to me. I, um, first, we never compromise the gospel, okay? We always tell the truth. We always tell the truth about what Jesus said and did. But we're supposed to be smart about it. We're supposed to anticipate danger, and we're supposed to avoid danger if we can. Not at the expense of the gospel, but I don't need to unnecessarily provoke people to persecute me. Believe me, you'll get enough of it without provoking anybody. And so I don't need to go out of my way to call attention to myself and say, hey, here I am, persecute me. And so if I can anticipate it, avoid danger when possible. Jesus says, be wise. I came across a quote recently. I, can't, I keep, can't get it out of my mind. John Wayne said, life is hard. It's harder when you're stupid. <laughs> and I think Jesus would have said, amen. He said, be wise. Be wise. Here's an example. In verse 23, he says, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. Why do you stay there when they keep whooping up on you? And so, be wise. Number three, be harmless. Number three, be harmless. He says, be wise as serpents. And then at the latter part of verse 16, he says, and harmless as doves. And that word harmless sometimes is translated innocent. It means something that's unmixed, something that's absolutely pure, like a pure precious metal or a pure drink or pure something like that, unmixed. But when it's applied to character, it's describing a purity of character. And it, would, and it would apply to the total absence of, of making threats. You know, it's very unbecoming to a Christian to make threats. Making threats, using force, coercion, uh, to go out and just break laws that are legitimate laws, where there's a legitimate purpose to it and it, and it enables people to live together, to just... To be harmless as a dove means to be harmless to other people. And in those relationships, nothing provocative, not doing anything to provoke others, no harm. Be harmless as doves. I think that speaks for itself. Number four, be supernatural. Be supernatural. I love this. Be supernatural. We looked at this verse last week, but I want to look at the whole passage. Verse 17, but beware of men. Jesus said be wise. Here's an example. Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. This is an example of being wise and harmless. He says, watch out. They're going to deliver you to councils. Some 
group of people, some authorities who are going to judge you and, and give you a hard time because you're preaching the gospel. He says they're going to scourge you in the synagogues. You know, we read too fast over some of those passages. You know, the synagogue was supposed to be a place where you worship the Lord, where you worship God. He said they're going to get whips out. They're going to beat you in the synagogue. Can you imagine that? And that's what Jesus is describing. He's saying watch out for that. But in verse 19 he says, but when it happens, when they deliver you up, your vulnerability is going to give you extraordinary access to speak to people in power. In other words, I sent you as lambs or sheep among wolves. And because you traveled that way, because you went that way, I'm going to give you extraordinary access. So this is going to be something like a divine appointment. And when there's a divine appointment, God has a purpose. This is part of your mission. You've been arrested. You've been brought to a place where you're going to have to give an account for your preaching the gospel. You're going to get to talk to someone about it, kings and people who are in authority. Whenever that kind of thing happens, he says you can expect not only just a divine appointment, but divine power. He says don't even think about how you're going to say it, much less what you're going to say. You don't have to premeditate this thing. That when you're in that circumstance, it's because God put you there, and he already knows what he wants to say. And so you want to live your life all the time dependent on the Father, but especially in this kind of a situation, you want to be dependent on him. Don't worry about how you're going to say it, what you're going to say. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's going to give you what you need when you need it. In that hour, he says. Not the hour before, but in that hour, he will give it to you. So the goal, when you and I are in that circumstance where we're called on the carpet, where we're caught up in a legal situation because of our faith or we're caught up in an uncomfortable situation at work or a workplace or even at school and somehow we're in trouble because we've been sharing our faith because we've been doing what we believe Jesus wanted us to do that in that moment what you and I want to do is turn inside and say Holy Spirit of God Jesus help me and you know what's really neat about that is he promises that he will that he will supply to you everything you need in that moment. And dear one, I believe that applies to hundreds of situations outside of just being arrested and going before a court. I believe that that occurs in unforeseen opportunities when you come across someone, suddenly you're in a conversation, suddenly they're asking you questions, suddenly you find yourself in proximity to someone who's just open to you and you have favor with them and they're talking to you and suddenly you realize God has put me in this conversation at this moment to say something to them and he will supply you as richly then as he does in this extreme circumstance. To walk in the spirit is to make him your environment so that everywhere you go you're conscious that he is with you, around you, and within you. Let's not be natural. Let's be supernatural. Number five, be faithful. Be faithful. Verse 21, now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Jesus predicted it. It's been happening for centuries. It's happening in the world that we live in today. And you will be hated by all 
for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. I think what stands out about this is the betrayal of family. The betrayal of family. That as you go out as a faithful believer, that there is no assurance that your family is going to just fall over and accept your devotion to Jesus and embrace it for themselves. In fact, their hostility may grow so great they will want to treat you and act like you were dead because of your faith. They won't want anything to do with you and they just as soon deliver you up. Betrayal by family. Hate by all. He says you will be hated by all for my name's sake. You know what hate is, don't you? The complete absence of love. And, if, and he's saying you're going into a world what's filled with hate. Now, when you and I come to church, it ought to be the opposite experience. Unfortunately, it's not always that way. We bring stuff from the world in here, but out there it's all about hate. There's total absence of love. That's what Jesus said. You'll be hated by all men, and that is wearisome to the soul. And so you're in this hostile environment. You're like a sheep among wolves. What do you do? He says, but he who endures to the end will be saved. How do you respond to this hatred? How do you respond to this constant, again and again, wave of hostility and hatred? How do you deal with that? People around the world, this is not an academic discussion to them. For some of you, it's not an academic discussion. You've experienced it. You are experiencing it. We have to redefine what success in ministry is. We need to define, redefine what success as being sent is. Success is not judged by how many people are faithful to you, but how faithful you are to Jesus Christ. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what Jesus says. That's where you and I can be preoccupied. Am I being faithful to him? No one else may like you. No one else may love you. No one else may appreciate you. You may be the real deal. You may love Jesus. You're not perfect, but you love Jesus, and no one, no one else is backing you up. You don't need to dwell on that, friend. Dear one, you need to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, no matter what, I'm going to be faithful to you. I choose you. I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to follow you no matter what, even if all the world hates me for your name's sake. Be faithful. Number six, be changed. Be changed. Verse 24, Jesus goes on and says, you know, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. There's two things I want you to see here, two truths to hold on to. Never expect to be treated better than Jesus was treated. Never expect to be treated better than Jesus was. If they treated Jesus this way, they're going to treat you this way. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, a verse that I memorized years ago, it says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, if I, if I want to live a godly life, persecution is inevitable. There will be a reaction. All hell will be against you in the unseen world. And then as people react to who you are, your choices, your decisions, your words, your activities, 
all who live godly, seek to live godly in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Why? Because Jesus was persecuted. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And then he turns to you and me and says, I send you like sheep among wolves. Never expect to be treated better than Jesus. Second truth here is expect to be changed. Expect to be changed. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. That's why you have these prophets in the Old Testament who preach and preach and preach. No one comes. No one responds. People like Isaiah, people stop listening. They didn't start listening when he talked. They stopped listening. How discouraging would that be? And yet he was sent on this mission. But Jesus says, look, it's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. That in this experience of rejection, in this experience of attack, in this experience of all these negative experiences, the Lord says, I am using everything for your good to conform you to the image of my son, to make you like Jesus. And as you go as a lamb among wolves, I'm going to form Christ in you more than ever before and make you more like him. Let God use the negative experiences to change you. When people treat you like Jesus did, you will grow and begin to respond the way Jesus responded. Let God use those negative experiences. You know, some people go through hard times, they become bitter, not better. They become worse. They don't grow. They don't change. They don't become more loving. They don't become more tender. They don't become more Christ-like. And so there's a real caution here. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher. Never expect to be treated any differently than Jesus was treated. And finally, number seven, last one, be fearless. Be fearless. Verse 25, he goes on and says, If they have called, if they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, that means Lord of the Flies, it's, a, it's another name for Satan. If they have called the master of the house, me, Jesus, Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? If they call Jesus the devil, how much more will they call you the devil? That's what Jesus is saying. You know what that means? Expect your reputation to be shredded. Don't be surprised if one of the first things that happens in North American versions of persecution is that your reputation, your name, becomes mud. If they did it to Jesus and they talked about his origins, they suggested something inappropriate about his birth, they called him names, they called him a worker who was in concert with the devil, if they did that to him, expect that they'll do that to you. So it's about my reputation being trashed is what he's saying here in verse 25. Verse 26, therefore do not fear them. When you're, when you're being attacked, when people are saying things about you that aren't true, don't fear them. Don't fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. He knows who you are, and there's a day coming will be revealed. It'll be revealed for all to see who you are. And all that matters is that he knows. Doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. 
The Apostle Paul once said in Galatians, he said, if I was still trying to be a pleaser of men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You can't make everybody else happy and make Jesus happy. And so in response to that, when that's happening to you, he says, be fearless. Don't be afraid of that. God's going to take care of that. Whatever happens to you, really, be fearless. Because there's a, after these verses, you can go read it yourself this afternoon. He talks about several other situations that cause fear. And in each case, he says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't be, don't be afraid. Be fearless. God's got this. He's going to take care of it. He knows about it. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. Be fearless. I've shared about him before, but one of the favorite guys that I've ever had a pleasure to meet was a man named Joseph Son. Joseph Son grew up in communist Romania and became a Christian, grew up in a Christian environment, became a Christian. And as a young Christian, he was deathly afraid of being persecuted, tortured, killed, for his faith. He managed to escape Romania and went to study theology in England. Got degrees, became well respected, could have stayed in England and had a wonderful ministry for the rest of his life. But he felt led by the Spirit of God to go back to Romania under communist persecution and oppression of Christianity. Felt led to go back. Was he now fearless? No, not yet. He was still very much afraid. But he could not deny that God was sending him back. And so it goes back to Romania, and as you can imagine, it did eventually happen. His reputation, his ability to speak became well known. Uh, he was preaching, they were recording his messages, and one day he was arrested. And he was interrogated, and they were trying to force him to give up names. They were trying to force him to deny Christ. And at one point, the, the sergeant that was interrogating him took a pistol out. This is for real. This is not, this is not a plaything. And he sticks it to Joseph's head. And when he does, Joseph, this, this very moment that he had been afraid of for much of his life, for years, was now becoming a reality. It was happening to him. They were literally holding a gun to his head. <laughs> and at that moment, everything fell into place. And he said, I couldn't help it. He said, I smiled. I grinned. He said, I understood. And he said, and I was joyful. And the sergeant stepped back, and he got angry, and he was flustered. And this has happened again repeatedly through the centuries to persecutors. He looks at him and says, you know, most people, when I put a gun to their head, they're afraid. They beg for their life. They, they're, 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 they're dying of fear before I even kill them. He said, but you're smiling. What's wrong with you? He said, this is what Joseph said. I remember the quote. He said, he said sir, your greatest weapon is killing. My greatest weapon is dying. I'm not afraid of glory. I'm not afraid of where I'm going. 
And he went on to tell him, he said, by the way, he said, if you kill me, he said, what I have taught, everything that I believe has been recorded on tapes. And, and my blood, figuratively, will be splattered on those tapes, and they will go all over the country. And people want to listen to those tapes because whatever I said on those tapes, I died for what's on those tapes. And people want to hear it because someone believed it enough to die for it. And people all over the country will hear my tapes if you kill me. And the end result of that conversation was that he was set free. And they, were, they gave out orders for everybody to leave him alone. Because if they killed him, they would only help the cause. And the thing he had been most afraid of was actually the very thing that set him free. Set him free. Jesus says, I send you as sheep among wolves. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 